0: The mic slipped out. (laughs) Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that helps support stigmatized communities in navigating whatever situation it is that they're going through in regards to stigma. Today's guest is 24-year-old Brenda. This podcast episode has been very long overdue, but the timing is perfect. Unfortunately, it took a pandemic for us to get together, but we've got some really good stuff to talk about at this point since we've been able to build a little bit more rapport with one another. So we're like comfortable with just having a conversation. And then we've both had quite a few experiences since the time that we initially had intended on recording a podcast episode with one another. So how you feeling? I'm okay. Are you taking care of yourself during the pandemic?
1: I am doing the best that I can. Probably the
0: best that anybody could right now. -hmm. So you're HIV positive and disabled. So now that that's out of the way. With you being immunocompromised, how's the pandemic affecting you? So like for me, not really being around people is a thing. While that's like high on my priority list, obviously your well-being is highest on yours. So uh, what's it like for you having to not only isolate, but also the fear of possibly contracting COVID-19?
1: It's super conflicting because as somebody who is HIV positive, like I'm automatically assumed to be immune compromised, but because of, you know, like U equals U and just having a high CD4 count, so my immune system is pretty typical, I'm at no more risk than anybody else's. So it's really hard to navigate being seen as immune compromised while also kind of just being the same risk as everybody else but the isolation is super triggering because most people living with HIV tend to live in isolation due to stigma so now having to just be forced to be isolated is really really difficult for another illness if that makes sense
0: it does yeah i'm glad you brought up u equals u undetectable equals untransmittable what we're saying here is with you being on the medication that brings your HIV low to undetectable, you essentially have a, quote, normal immune response to whatever it is that's happening, right? Yeah. Um, you were born positive for HIV, is that right? Yes. We know that HIV is transmittable through body fluids, so we're talking breast milk, sexual fluids, and then blood, right? Mm-hmm. For you, how is the stigma prevalent in regards to that? being the general consensus of how a person gets HIV to you being like, no, actually, I was born with it. And nothing that I did could have prevented this from happening.
1: I actually think that there's less of a stigma towards people who contracted it at birth, just because I think most of the stigma stems from the belief that if somebody contracts it sexually, it's largely in part because of a choice that they made. And so when I tell somebody that I was born with it, a very common reaction is to say, oh, well, that's horrible because you had no choice. But, like, that's the stigma of STIs being a choice where, you know, you did something bad, so this is a consequence. And so I found that, like, since I went public, it's kind of easier to break that stigma, but also harder because people still hold that belief. But just in saying, like it's not a choice no matter what. It, it's not a consequence. It's something very natural that happens.
0: In your being open and public about living with HIV. Do you find that with people that you talk to, is there a um, kind of like a, well, I wish that I could say that I was born with this versus I wish I didn't contract it a different way? Like, is there a Preference, which is the worst way that I could probably ask that, but it's the only way that I could think of. For instance, with herpes, right? We can say, "Oh, I got it as a kid. I got cold sores since I was a kid." And then there's a complete difference between having contracted herpes genitally. One is viewed, quote, better than the other one, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that does make sense. When I meet people who are newly diagnosed, contracted it through sex, there's always kind of a conversation where, like, I would be like, that's probably worse because you know what it's like to live an HIV negative life. And now you need to adjust to this whole new life and this whole new status and then they feel like it's worse for me because I've never known a life without HIV and so it's like all that more devastating is I'm probably never going to know what it's like to not have HIV so there's definitely like a comparison but I don't know I feel like we both look at the other side of the coin.
0: I don't see much representation for women who are living with HIV at all now that I've been on Instagram and I'm seeing more of the sex positivity, sex education being prevalent. I'm connecting with a few women who advocate for HIV or who are HIV positive themselves. And so the messaging, the marketing, when we talk about who's quote at risk for HIV, we're primarily talking about LGBT members, people who fall in the non-monogamous community and people who use drugs. I don't know if that's still a thing, but all of the campaigns that have been out there completely just exclude cisgendered women.
1: Yeah, and that's definitely a hard part too. I mean, I think all women who contract HIV go through a period of time if they don't have kids already of worrying about, you know, will I pass it on to my kids? And I think that's a fear that we all have. But I think what often gets completely overlooked is the fear that women who contracted it vertically, which is mother to baby, do have that fear times like 10 because we are people who got it from our mother. I grew up terrified of the fact that I could probably never have kids without passing it on to them and now with u equals u that's not true at all but it's still that fear of what if u equals u can only ease my mind so much where it's like i know what it's like to be a child living with this and i would never want my future kids if i decide to have kids to have to deal with that so i know like scientifically it's not possible but i still have that fear so badly
0: Yeah, two things before we get into like the fun stuff. So, these were just questions that I wanted to make sure to get out there before we get into like the dating and sex stuff. In regards to your, uh, nope, that wasn't what I was gonna ask. See, this is why I should write shit down, but then if I write it down, then it won't be natural and I won't stick to it. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I want to ask you kind of a scientific question. It may not be scientific, it may, but uh, given that you were born with HIV, do you have like a natural increased immunity boost or something because you were born with HIV? So it's kind of like through evolution, we pass down the best parts of our genes to our offspring, right? And so they should be better equipped to deal with whatever it is that we, the generations before dealt with, right? Is that the case with HIV or no? What do you mean? You having been born with HIV and now growing up, like, is your response to HIV any different than your biological mother's response would have been to HIV? Well, at that point in time, I don't know how far the medication has come to where, like, now we're at U equals you. So would okay. she have responded to right. treatment different than you based on the fact that you were born with HIV?
1: That's a good question, and I honestly don't know, but it's something that I've thought about a lot because I do have a lot of resistance to medications. So there's, like, 20 to 30 HIV meds on the market currently, and I can count the number of those that I can take on one hand, but I've always been like that ever since I was little. And so the only way I can account for that is to say, like, I inherited my resistance from my mother. You know, like, I inherited her strain. So... Like, is that what you're
0: saying? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That answers okay. the question. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so I don't know, but I've always, I've always wondered because it's also like, I don't know if my mom got it from my dad or my dad got it from my mom, but some people, like my providers when I was little, also theorized that maybe she was infected more than once. So it's also like, maybe there's a possibility that I contracted more than one strain of it um, or like a mutated strain of it. So I don't know, but I mean... As far as living with it today, I take two pills, and that completely controls it, so it's not something that I really give too much thought to. Um, I also don't know if my mother was even adherent to her medications, and that's why it mutated so much.
0: Okay, and for those who don't know, you were adopted. Did you have any sort of interaction with your mom at all during childhood, or was it you were... In the foster care system or what?
1: My adoptive mom had a relationship, for lack of a better term, with her. Um, They used to talk on the phone a lot. The only interaction I ever had with her was when I was, like, 10. She called the house once and I happened to answer the phone. Um, And I talked
0: to her. But she passed away when I was 13. Okay. So... This is a hell of a transition from that to (laughs) the dating stuff. But we took some questions from people. I normally don't do this, just letting people know, hey, heads up, we're going to have a guest in regards to these topics. So if you have questions, send them in. And the questions all revolved around dating, (laughs) of course. So you're 24 years old, you're Uh HIV positive and also disabled. So what is the disability that you have?
1: Ah, uh, cerebral
0: palsy. So when you say cerebral palsy, I think Forrest Gump immediately. That's exactly where my head goes. But you are able to walk without braces, right?
1: Yeah, I haven't worn braces since I was like
0: 12. Did you having HIV have anything to do with you having cerebral palsy?
1: So that's another very difficult question just because there is no real answer to it. Okay. Um, I do say that it was caused by the CP just because it's so much easier. There is actually quite a large number of people my age who were born HIV positive and also developed cerebral palsy, and so a lot of people in the medical community, like a lot of our doctors growing up, did say that one, the HIV caused the CP. In my case, it's really hard to pinpoint that because my mother was a drug user, and I do have a twin brother who is HIV negative, yeah. But we don't know if the CP was caused by her drug use or the HIV or me being premature because all three of those things are risk factors. And my twin brother was actually born developmentally delayed, and we contribute that to her drug use. So it's hard to pinpoint what actually is the cause of my cerebral palsy.
0: Whoa, okay. And I didn't even know you had I didn't know that you had it to I'm learning stuff as we talk here. (laughs) So we had a few conversations about dating. When I talk to people who are newly diagnosed with herpes, something that's come up and I've started to check this when it comes up, is that they say things like, Oh, it could have been worse, implying HIV, or they'll say at least it's not HIV. One thing I want to bring up here is the fact that we don't have any treatment for keeping people from contracting herpes, but yet there's a treatment for people who are living with HIV to prevent them from passing it on to another person. So I wanted to know, is there any stigma in regards to herpes from someone who's living with HIV? Like, are people with HIV like, oh, thank God it's not herpes.
1: Yes, I'm gonna say that completely honestly. Aside from the little bit that I've learned from you and Lurie, I really don't know anything about herpes at all. I've had to take a step back and be completely honest in my ignorance, be like, I have absolutely no idea what it would be like to live with that. Because of stigma, it does seem like it would be worse than HIV, because like you said, there's no way to prevent it or anything.
0: If everyone is tested regularly, if they are positive, they're holding to their treatment hiv can just disappear right
1: yeah so that would be called undetectable so when somebody takes their treatment every single day regularly the viral load goes down because it's completely controlled and so you eventually reach the point of undetectable where there's literally so little of it in your blood it can't be detected at all
0: Or transmitted, so we're talking about upcoming generations. So let's say everyone who is living with HIV first knows that they're living with HIV, then is able to get treatment for HIV, and then get to an undetectable viral load, their offspring is not going to have HIV, and then therefore, by default, there just won't be any more HIV on the planet. Is that the ballpark?
1: Exactly. And so that's another thing that I've had to confront as a woman is that because I contracted it from my mom, people automatically assume, especially in dating, guys automatically assume that if I have children, they will, by no preventative measure, contract it from me. But that's just lack of education where people sometimes think that it's literally inherited, like you inherit HIV through your genetics, and that's not true at all. It's contracted literally through The birthing process, like you don't contract it in the womb, you don't contract it after. It's literally through birth that you contract it. So if I eventually have kids and I'm undetectable, there's literally no chance of them getting it. They're not going to inherit it. They're just not going to get it.
0: I bring that up because of how stigma looks. It's not just exclusive to herpes. It's not exclusive to HIV. And I mean, the way stigma looks for The HIV community versus the herpes community, of course, is different. With herpes, there's the herpes jokes. It's kind of funny and it gets dismissed. Whereas with HIV, considering how it all started and the process of it having been that people's lives were at risk. If they were to have contracted HIV and then not gotten treatment, didn't know about it, that says that there's a significant sense of urgency behind getting treatment options available to get people from passing it on, to get the virus manageable. Whereas with herpes, there's no immediate physical harm that can come to a person just from having herpes and having an outbreak. So I think the stigma and our responses to it are significantly different because if someone has HIV, it's like, oh my God, I need to get on treatment. This could be something that leads to more complicated issues. Whereas yeah. somebody with herpes is like, ah, I'm not telling anybody shit, right? So the our responses to these two different viruses are just completely different. And I think that that gives us something to look at in how prevalent stigma is. And I'm, I'm dragging this on because I'm trying to make a point into a condensed sentence of what's the HIV stigma?
1: So. Like when I hear from people who are newly diagnosed because there is no education and because society really hasn't caught up with the science of living with HIV, a lot of people's first reaction is to ask, Am I gonna die? Like people still think that if they get HIV today, they are go it is a death sentence and they're going to die. And so some people rush to get on treatment and then just keep it a secret, they tell nobody. And some people kind of go the opposite way. And just say, well, if I have to live with this, the stigma is so damning, I would rather die. And delay treatment. I mean, it's really sad that in a time when we can completely treat it and completely prevent it, stigma is really what keeps people from living and treating themselves and just living a happy, healthy life.
0: There's no HIV jokes, right? I think that the biggest thing that I notice that people living with HIV may face is the criminalization of HIV, like these laws that are in place to where um, I spoke with Josh Robbins. I had him on an episode a while back and we were talking about a situation. He gave the example of someone could go to the police and say, this person gave me HIV. And that person is assumed guilty until proven innocent. So these news headlines can come out, so-and-so gave HIV to a person, and then even when it's proven that that isn't the case, there's a struggle to even get the news publication to get their name out of the article or retract the article, the stuff that happened with the police, like all of this damage that cannot be undone as a result of an accusation.
1: Yeah, and I actually had my own situation with criminalization that it didn't go anywhere, but I actually lost my virginity, quote unquote, because, you know, it's a contract. But my first experience was an assault, and I didn't tell the guy that I was HIV positive because I said no like 50 different times, and it turned out he had a girlfriend at the time. It's not like we were in each other's lives. We went to high school together, and we hung out maybe once every couple years. Like, that was it. But it happened, and I didn't say anything afterwards, but the night that it happened, I was with a group of friends, and he happened to be the only one there who didn't know. I just had assumed he knew by association because it wasn't a total secret, but it turned out that he didn't, and so I never said anything, because again, I said no. And three months down the line, one of those mutual friends got mad at me over something. And so he went and he ran to him. And he was like, you know, Brenda's HIV positive. He knew that what happened wasn't consensual because he was there. But he was, like, not a good person at all. And so later that night, he this guy called me up. And he's screaming. And he's threatening me. And he's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to sue you. Like, all of this stuff. And so he was like, luckily, it's three-month mark I'm gonna take a test this weekend I'll let you know what happened so he took his test obviously it came back negative because there was no risk of me even transmitting it to him in the first place but he did say if this test came back positive I would have pursued legal action against you and I was like dude maybe you should learn how to take no for an answer I found out later on that I wasn't the only girl he had ever done that to there was like five other girls who all came forward and were like yeah he assaulted me And so one of them actually did report him for what he had done to her. But we were friends, so she had asked me, like, would you come forward about your experience? And I was like, honestly, I'm too scared to because I don't want my status being brought into it. So, I mean, that's like a really, really tricky situation. I mean, luckily, Pennsylvania doesn't have an HIV-specific law, so it would have been tricky anyway. But that doesn't mean that it hasn't happened in this state. I have a friend who had to go through a whole rehabilitation program because she had an ex that reported her to the police and said she never told me, even though they worked together for two years and he definitely knew. But they got all of her medical records and they made her go through a rehab program.
0: Wow. We live in a society that more so will protect a rapist than they will a survivor, essentially, is what I'm getting out of this conversation, because even if it's, yeah, I raped you, but you didn't tell me you had HIV while I was raping you or before I raped you. What kind of shit is that?
1: Yeah. In the eyes of the law, I'm seen as the threat and I'm seen as the person who put somebody else's life at risk. All
0: right. We can uh, definitely go in a much more, this can turn into a whole rant. Um, Are you okay? Like, I guess, having spoken about that. All right. (laughs) Pennsylvania specifically doesn't have any laws so for the places that do have these different kinds of laws do they look different across the board or is it like they don't have any laws and if they do have laws the laws are that you can uh, take legal action against someone who has HIV that you had sex with. I use that general statement. You can prosecute someone who has HIV that you had sex with because there's no way of proving that they told you or didn't tell you. It's that person's word against yours because they went to the police, I guess, by assumption they have to be believed.
1: Yeah. I mean, it has happened in a lot of southern states still have HIV-specific statutes on the books. And so there are people who are facing 30 to 50 years in prison, even when no transmission even occurred. Transmission doesn't have to occur for them to be prosecuted. As long as there's no proof that they actually told their partner, they will be prosecuted.
0: And I guess this is one of those situations where, like, saving text messages might be the only thing that you can do so is there a way that you disclose to people who you're anticipating a consensual sexual experience with
1: i just say it up front um i mean it's a little bit easier sometimes now that i'm completely public i mean i feel like people meet mostly virtually now on social media or on dating apps and stuff so i mean you look me up on instagram you find my social media it's right there i put it on my dating app so If I match with somebody, I know that they already saw it because it's literally right there. You can't miss it. I'm the type of person that I would rather get it out of the way first before I really develop any kind of feelings so that it's not as devastating as it possibly could be down the line. But that also means risking getting ghosted or just getting hurt right off the bat when somebody won't even give me a chance beyond knowing what my
0: status is. It's interesting you said you put your status right there for everybody to see up front because I've recently started dating again and I put my status on all my dating profiles and I think that gets missed. (laughs) So a few people I've matched with, we'd start conversations and I've assumed that they will have read my profile at some point, right? There was one main interaction that occurred where I just happened to have assumed that they read it and I talk about this on another podcast episode so I won't go into too much detail but long story short she was just like oh yeah that's a deal breaker for me and that was it but it was just like a bummer because I thought that putting my status on there would weed out people who that was a deal breaker for and then even actually this morning the morning this uh, recording I had someone uh, we matched and we were texting for a bit and I was like okay I don't want to have what happened last time happened. So I brought it up. I was like, hey, I want to just not assume here, but I do want to let you know that I have herpes and these are the things that you need to know here, the precautions I take. And she messaged me back. She goes, wait, that was serious? I thought you were kidding. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting on dating sites. So I would like to hear what Your experience has been having that you're HIV positive on your dating profiles.
1: Before I put it on there, I would match with a lot of people. And then the more we would talk, I kind of realized that they would look me up on social media and just ghost me right away. And so that was why I put it on my profile. And so I put it on there and I... Like, I was surprised with how many matches I got, and most of them were completely, like, I would ask straight, did you see that I have HIV? And they all said, yes, blah, 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 whatever. It was all fine. But I think we talked about this last night, I think. It's different meeting people through apps, because I found that they're super accepting of me having HIV, but then as soon as I disclose the disability, it's like radio silence, because just assume the worst of like somebody being disabled but i only had one person who matched with me just to be like oh you have hiv and i was like yeah And then they ghosted. Like, I was like, why would you even match with me in the first place?
0: (laughs) And then they asked, like, "It's, it's not right there. It's there. And it says you have HIV. So why even bother fucking asking, right? It was really stupid. So you mentioned that the HIV isn't as much of an issue for some people as your disability is. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that?
1: I mean, when I meet people in person, they can see that I am independent and, like, I'm not held back by being disabled. So I don't think it's really as much of an issue, but then down the line, HIV becomes an issue because they just get anxious about it and all of that stuff. But when I meet people on apps or like through social media, it's the opposite because again, they hear disabled and they think incapacitated, can't have sex, all of that stuff. And, and people, I think, They have a fear of being insensitive, and so they don't even bother to ask questions about me being disabled. They would rather just not talk to me at all.
0: That's a very good point that you bring up about people having a fear around being insensitive. I feel like if you're putting it out there, in a way, you kind of assume that they're going to have questions, but being the recipient of that disability disclosure, I wouldn't want to offend you, but I would like to know like, okay, well, what does this mean? And I'm wondering if that's just like a sign of immaturity on their part, if they feel like they can't ask questions or they feel like they'll be insensitive.
1: I definitely agree with that. I think it does have to do with maturity in some cases, It also makes me sad just because I am the type of person who loves when people ask me questions and I love to educate and I love to inform people. So when somebody would rather ghost than just ask me, I'm just like, I I wouldn't be offended. Like, I would rather you ask me. But after I put my status on my profile, I matched with one guy. I asked him straight up, like, you did see that, right? And he was like, yeah, it's cool, whatever. And we never really talked about it. Like, we genuinely were just getting to know each other. Um, And this happened right when quarantine started. So like we had no option but to get to know each other. And so I kind of waited a while to tell him that I was disabled because I was just so anxious about it. And so I told him last week after talking to him for a month and a half and he responded well, like he was empathetic, but it's been a week and I haven't heard from him since. But like, that's a case where He was so open-minded about the HIV and asked me questions and all of that stuff, but then me being disabled, and I literally said, like, it's really not a big deal. He asked me nothing. He just never responded.
0: I think that's really telling of the times that we're in, because just in the 80s, 90s, maybe even 2000s, we looked at HIV as such a deal breaker um as like a red flag i want to say and here we are now to where you disclosing your disability is more of a challenge than you disclosing hiv and the disability isn't even contagious right
1: it's not contagious it's not like
0: i didn't mean right like (laughs) i said that yeah
1: it's not like people are gonna become disabled (laughs) just just by knowing me you're like having sex with me or anything like that but it does show stigma because people have been disabled since the beginning of time and we've made no movement with the way that people with disabilities are perceived by you know able-bodied people
0: Mm -hmm. and i wonder if it's just bringing it back to herpes as a comparison here because of the audience that we're talking to how we have an assumption about the kind of person someone is who's living with herpes and most of the people who are living with herpes are living their life and don't have any reason to advocate or put their life out there on a display for people to see what it's like to have herpes because they have herpes and they're navigating it however they choose to. I'm wondering if it's the same thing with the disability. If there are just so many people who are just living their lives with a disability that there is no need to advocate for it, or maybe they're just so far disconnected from any sort of stigma at all that... It just seems like if someone's disabled, it's assumed that whatever association we have with the disability, that's what it looks like. So we see extreme cases. I mentioned my mind goes to Forrest Gump when I hear cerebral palsy. I have a buddy of mine who, um, now that I think about it, I have never asked him about his arm. I only know what other people have said so one of his arms is clearly smaller than the other but he played football with us and he lives his life he's able to drive he's mobile he's able to do everything super social so like i've never asked him questions about it and i guess for me i just never cared (laughs) like it wasn't a big deal to him so it's not a big deal to me
1: right and that's what my experience is is people that i know in person they see that like i'm the exact same way i'm super social I drive. I'm completely independent. I use no mobility devices. And so people just see that and they just see me living my life and they just don't bother to think anything of it. But like I told you, when this guy, I mean, I assume I'm being ghosted, but I literally Googled cerebral palsy to try and see like, okay, what would somebody who knows nothing about this see when they looked it up? And it's literally just pictures of severely disabled kids. So there's no depiction of an adult living with cerebral palsy or an adult like me who is not as affected by it. Like, it is pretty mild. So I think, again, they just jumped to that extreme of, oh, my God, she's probably just not able to have sex. Like, all of that stuff that we already talked about. But, I mean, I've had to learn how to navigate The HIV world as somebody who is disabled because I've met guys with HIV who reject me for being disabled. There's so many different facets of my life to navigate all at once that it can get really, really overwhelming.
0: How do you reject someone for being disabled? I guess I'm trying to figure this out in my head. You have your dating profiles up, and I'm assuming that your pictures are of you. You know, you can see you. Um, there's probably a picture of you doing some basic white girl stuff right (laughs) so it's not like you're hiding it it's just that it's not really relevant you tell a person you have cerebral palsy because i'm assuming that you disclose it because maybe you may walk a little bit weird or what like how does it really impact the other person for you to have to disclose a disability to them
1: right so There is a bit of a shock value when I meet people in person and they can see that I very visibly walk different. So I disclose it just to be like, you know, when we meet, if we meet, I do walk differently. And that's because I was born with cerebral palsy, but blah, 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 blah. And so I kind of do it just to, like, ease that shock value because people still are a little bit surprised when they meet me. But that comes at the cost of, like, risking not even meeting them. Like, again, they don't give me a chance beyond that.
0: When you say meeting people in person, like, they get to see it, and they're more, like, desensitized from it, I guess. Like, if they're around you, they see you being social uh, at a dinner table, or if you're just walking or something like that, and they find out you have HIV, it's like, oh, okay, this disabled girl has HIV. And on a dating site, it's, oh, this HIV-positive girl is disabled. Like, right. it's... it. The flipping of the two, to me, is really interesting, right? So what happens if someone sees you online and then they bump into you out in the streets? How would they see you? Either they see you, they know you're disabled, and then they find out you have HIV. They see your profile online, they know you have HIV, and then in person they see you and you're disabled, right? So... It's almost like there's a tolerance level, right? Right. HIV gets that person up to this threshold and it's like, "Uh, well, she has HIV. All right, well, I can do that. Oh, you're disabled too? Ah, that's my deal breaker. And the same thing vice versa. What are some of your uh, successful experiences like when you disclose to someone, I have HIV and I'm disabled? Like, What is a successful interaction or pleasant, pleasurable experience like for you in dating?
1: I honestly don't think I've had any. (laughs) Oh
0: shit, that was a terrible (laughs) question. Every
1: experience that I've ever had, it's either one or the other. In time, if it's not right off the bat that I'm being rejected for one or the other, it's down the line that HIV becomes a problem. Like CP is very rarely ever an issue unless I'm being rejected for it right away. But on the other side of that, in things that last a little bit longer, like are a little bit more long-term, HIV always becomes an issue. I honestly don't think I've ever had a good experience with either one. In terms of the guy that I was talking to for a while who was also HIV positive, I actually did meet him. We connected through social media. He was newly diagnosed, and I went and met him, and the CP was a deal-breaker for him because I realized that because he had never met anybody who was disabled before. He viewed me as being like weak and feeble and somebody who needs to be taken care of.
0: I don't and, get that from you at uh, all though.
1: Right. Yeah. But like, because it was visual and he had never met anybody before, it seemed like he felt like he needed to take care of me, like he needed to help me and he needed to do all these things. And it's like, if you even gave me a chance, you would realize that as a person, I am completely self-sufficient because I've had to learn how to be. And people who are disabled from birth, we live our lives learning how to adapt. I am completely independent and self-sufficient because I have no other choice but to be.
0: The acronym for Something Positive for Positive People is SPFPP, which is also the code for our sponsors. This one is BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. And let me tell you, when you go to www.betterhelp.com slash SPFPP and you get that 10% discount on your first month of services, you are going to open up your perspective to a whole new world, just like I did. I've been... In therapy for roughly seven weeks now it's almost been two months yeah and my therapist is a great it's a great therapist and what I like most about my therapist is that he doesn't challenge me directly he challenges me to challenge myself And the way that he positions things are in a way where I'll say something and he even asks me, he's like, what did you just say? And I'll repeat it out loud and hear myself and then we'll just sort of expand on that um, in my own way. And I've gotten a lot of usefulness out of this, especially sorting through my own herpes diagnosis. Um, Something came up from uh, college and I didn't realize that this was affecting me, but we discussed rejection, we discussed um, my A a traumatic event In a relationship that I had That was to me at least Completely unrelated to anything But uh, he brought it up and that's my homework This week to sort through that We've touched on um, Different aspects of my personality And um, seeing him is part of the reason That I've integrated my two Instagram accounts So that I'm not separating my identity Or creating these sort of autopilot uh, Personas In order to Navigate and hold up this facade of who Courtney is like something positive for positive people is one aspect of me given 100 is another aspect of me and then there's Courtney who's like hiding behind these things so he's really challenged me to challenge myself to integrate all aspects of my personality and If you're someone who is looking to really break through any uh, complacency or stuckness that you're feeling in your life or if there's struggles that you just can't really put your finger on, perhaps it's good for you to get with someone. Uh, a counselor, therapist through BetterHelp.com/spfpp, so that you can not only support yourself, but in using BetterHelp specifically, betterhel dot com/spfpp, you're also supporting the podcast. And um, yeah, that's that's it's been powerful for me. And I'm hopefully one day I can get him on the podcast to talk about um, just the benefits of therapy and discussing this from a sexual trauma perspective and help people with understanding the difference between coping and healing. And that was one thing that blew my mind that we talked about, and I'll probably cover it on an upcoming podcast episode as well. So visit www.betterhelp.com SPFPP, and you can save 10% off of your first month of services. I think it was more of like an intimidation thing than anything, because if you were an able-bodied woman person, then he would still feel obligated to take care of you. It would just look different. But because you're so independent, despite having a physical ailment, disability, he may have been threatened by that like oh she doesn't need me i can't control her so shit your disability might have warded him off (laughs) no
1: i totally agree with that and i think a lot of it was a little bit of like projection because again he was newly diagnosed so i feel like seeing me and then his situation being totally different i feel like he felt like maybe he wasn't good enough for me but you know he hasn't dealt with his diagnosis yet so that was too much for him to to really look at so he rather would reject me than look at
0: himself that's a common thing too as far as like the whole self-rejection thing coming off as a rejection against us so people aren't often rejecting us when we disclose to them they're often rejecting themselves I don't know if you get this but people talking about how Confident you are, how strong you are, how vulnerable you are. And I'm learning that that can be empowering or that can be intimidating. It really just depends on the other person on the uh, receiving end of your being yourself. I definitely
1: agree with that. I've learned that people's reactions to me say a lot more about them than me. But I've had to learn that because I used to internalize everything. I would get rejected and I would be like, what, what did I do wrong? What's so wrong with me? All that stuff. And I've, I've learned in time that it, it has a lot more to do with the other person than it does with me. Mm-hmm. I probably trigger something in them that they don't like about themselves or they haven't faced yet. So,
0: Yeah. Is there uh, another one of these super smooth transitions, uh, a difference in sex for you? As far as looking at it with HIV versus with cerebral palsy or having both, like, how do your sexual relationships look? Because we're talking about people may not want to sleep with you because of HIV, or they may not want to sleep with you because you're disabled, or maybe they don't want to sleep with you because of both. As far as your sexual experiences where you do have with a partner, are there any elements, I guess? If you have HIV, are there precautions that you need to take? And if you're disabled, are there precautions that you need to take before having sex with a partner? Or during sex with a partner?
1: I've recognized that sex with CP... People are always surprised after they have sex with me because, again, they view me as... You know, like, I'm weak and they're going to hurt me. And so when that's not the case, they're like, oh, my God, I didn't think you could, like, do all of that. (laughs) Well, I did. (laughs) And I think on a similar note with HIV, they'll go into it and intellectually they'll be like, okay, she says there's no risk and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I will say straight guys do not care about condoms no matter what. Most guys have sex with me, and I'll be like, there's no risk, even without a condom, blah, blah, blah. And immediately, they're like, cool, no condom. But then down the line, the more we have sex, you know, they start to get anxious, and they re- they'll have sniffles one day, and they're like, oh, my God, do I have HIV? And so they'll get tested, and then they, it's like that same surprise where they get tested, and it's negative, and they're like, oh, she was telling the truth. I can't get it. So...
0: I don't know. I would have made the assumption that having sex with someone who has cerebral palsy, I feel like there would be certain things that just can't happen. Or I would feel like, yes, you're more fragile. And that's not the case, according to what you're saying here in the reactions that you get from partners. Oh, But
1: I'm also one person with CP, and CP is also a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so that's a whole conversation that I've had with like my other friends who have CP who are maybe more severely affected or have a different kind of cerebral palsy where it is a little bit harder for them. So it's also like HIV. It's a case by case basis
0: Mm -hmm. for someone who is going into a sexual interaction with someone with CPR. Are there things that we need to know if we're someone who's able bodied and if someone discloses to us that they are disabled? Like, what are some questions that are okay to ask that we can feel safe asking that and you as the recipient of these questions, don't feel offended by it. Now, I know you welcome the questions in the education, but what's like some general stuff that we can take away from this if someone is disclosing to us that they are disabled to some extent?
1: I've never really thought about that before. I mean, the question I usually get is just like, can you have sex? <laughs> and like, yeah. <laughs>
0: we'll figure out the rest from there.
1: I've never really thought about other possible questions. And I feel like people don't really inquire that deeply about it. It's kind of just like a a (laughs) with experience, I guess.
0: So it's just like, can I put it in there or no? Are your legs going to be in the way?
1: (laughs) But the same thing with HIV. Can I have sex with you or not? Yes. Okay. No condom.
0: (laughs) And for people who, in the herpes world, I know that I've had partners who've been okay with us having sex, even with a condom. And then later on, there's this retroactive fear of them possibly having herpes. And what I'm hearing from you about the HIV is the same thing. You know, we got our our genitals are engorged. That's where all the blood's going. So in the moment, we're like, yeah, yeah. And then when time passes and that blood gets back to our brains, we're like, what did I just do? Do you have any guidance or advice even for someone who uh, has had sex with someone that was okay with it initially but who may be coming at them later down the road like oh my god am I gonna have this what am I gonna do
1: this is a common question that I get. is like how do I ease this person's mind and I always am so honest and say I don't know because I haven't figured it out either and you know I've kind of realized that When it gets to that point, again, it has nothing to do with me, but when it gets to that point, there really is nothing that I can say or do to make that person feel better other than just being like, well, maybe you should go get tested, because that's really the only thing that's going to give them peace of mind is seeing it concrete, HIV negative.
0: This week, a lot of things have opened back up, and people are beginning to be able to interact with people out in public and out in the open, and social distancing practices are kind of dissolving, I wanna say. And so I know that we've been locked up in quarantine for a while now. And when we get back out there, we're probably dying for reconnection and intimacy physically. Uh, perhaps with a potential new partner and one of the things that we constantly talk about on this podcast is when we get to a place of disclosure being sure to ask our partners about their status so I want to introduce you to or reintroduce you to our sponsor letsgetcheck.com if you visit the URL www.trylgc.com SPFPP and at checkout enter SPFPP you can save 30% on a STI testing kit. So now there's also other tests there. There's a different hormone test and there's also a COVID test. I think those are now available to the public um, as well. So if you want, you can get your partner checked as well as yourself so that you are most up-to-date with your status. Um, the most popular test on there, I'm, I pulled it up because I always forget what the 10 are. But uh, the standard 5, it's on here at 149. And you can get tested for chlamydia, gonorrhea, trichomoniasis. I just call it trick, HIV, and syphilis. This is the most common, most popular Tests that people buy. And again, when you visit try slash spfpp and enter that code spfpp at checkout, you can get 30% off of that. And if you want to take it up and see whether or not your partner has herpes, you can send the link to them and have them uh, get this test kit in. It only takes a few days for it to come in. I took the test, I took the complete 10, which includes chlamydia, gonorrhea, TRIC, HIV, syphilis, Gardnerella, mycoplasma, urea and herpes in place virus 1 and 2. And I'm hoping to get my test results back over the course of the next week. I sent them in on Tuesday this week. It's uh, Wednesday now. So um, I'm hoping to get that back over the next week. And I'm regularly getting myself checked within three to six months uh, of time. Well, since we're in the pandemic, I had an extra three months of uh, being in isolation. So um, I wasn't really able to get checked. So um yeah check this out try at logic.com without the vowels that's t-r-y-l-g-c.com spfpp Um, You just prick your finger, and they collect a blood sample. It's about 10 drops, maybe. I think I got up to 10 drops in there before it was full to capacity, and then um, you give a urine sample, you package it up, and they send you everything that you need in order for you to be able to safely send it back in for them to check you. And then once they get the results in, um, they'll give you a call back and let you know if you are positive or you'll see in the app Everything that you tested negative for, it comes with a little card that you want to keep on deck so that when they call you, you're able to reference that number to confirm that you are who you say you are. So again, that's www.trylogic.com without the O and the I that come in logic slash SPFPP. And at checkout, after you select whatever test kits you want to use, you can type in SPFPP to save 30%. And as far as the incubation period, who I hope I'm using the right word there, between potential exposure and then knowing whether or not you have it, what's an ideal time to go and get tested after you've had sex with someone who is HIV positive, regardless of whether or not they're undetectable?
1: I'm not an expert on this, but they've always said it's like three months, but tests these days are so much more sensitive that I'm pretty sure it can be detected after like four weeks or so. Okay. So it really depends on the type of test you're getting.
0: And then there's also different strands of HIV as well. So if I get an HIV test, am I being tested for all strands of HIV?
1: There's HIV-1 and there's HIV-2. So when they test for a viral load, it just covers both
0: of them. So what I'm visualizing is, like with the herpes test, we'll just be able, we know we're looking for something in this family. Oh, that thing in this family is there. And if we need more information about it, then we can go in and dig deeper and find out what type it is or what strand it is. Yeah. What is your sex life like? Well, first off, do we want to cover the chlamydia story at all?
1: We can talk about that.
0: Oh yes, I I want to so bad. Because after I got my herpes diagnosis, I became deathly afraid of getting another STI, right? For you, HIV isn't an STI. It's transmittable through sexual contact, but it's also transmitted through breast milk and blood. One of the ways it can be transmitted may be sexually, and considering that you didn't have sex in order to have contracted HIV, this would essentially be your first STI, but technically it's not your first STI. So tell me about the chlamydia story. The last person that I
1: had sex with, it was just a one-night stand, but...
0: Wait a minute, wait a minute. So you can have HIV and be disabled and have one-night stands? What?
1: Yeah, I actually prefer one-night stands because it doesn't get messy afterwards. (laughs) Unless you test positive for chlamydia. Not a little bit, but (laughs) Um, I prefer them because there's no anxiety afterwards. If it's a one-night stand and later down the line somebody gets anxious about possibly having HIV, typically they get tested and I never even know about it. I had one friend, he's a really good friend of mine, we hooked up one time and that was it. And then he told me, maybe a year later, he was like, yeah, like, I got tested afterwards, but why would I tell you about that? Like, I'm not going to make you feel bad if there's nothing to make you feel bad about. Yeah, I actually prefer them, but this last guy that I hooked up with, we both consented to not using a condom. And so I never really considered my risk in that situation. And we've talked about this. We're so worried about our partner's sexual health that we kind of overlook our own. And so we hooked up. And a few weeks later, I had some symptoms, and I was like, I don't usually get UTIs, so I don't think this is a UTI. And so I asked to get an STD panel done by my clinic. This was a few weeks ago, so it had been three months since my last panel. And they were like, well, it's only been three months. You don't need one done. And I was like, I've been sexually active, and I want an STD panel done. So they were very hesitant, but they did it. And it came back positive for chlamydia.
0: Were you surprised?
1: Um, I had a lot of mixed feelings because I had that, like, the shame of, like, oh, my God, this, like you said, this is my first STI. And I also kind of felt like, how could somebody like me, who's so educated and who is always preaching, for lack of a better word, about being informed and consent and, um, like, all of that stuff, like, how could I contract chlamydia but then I kind of had to look at it objectively and be like, it happens. It's natural, you know. Like destigmatize myself. Um, but I just texted the guy and I was like, you know, I got tested recently because I was having some symptoms and I tested positive for chlamydia. I'm not mad because it happens, but you should go get tested so you can be treated.
0: That's like and, uh, that's like textbook. <laughs>
1: and was like, oh my god! I'm so sorry. I had no idea. That's like um, a. it's like, it was neither of our faults. He didn't know, and I consented to having sex with him without a problem.
0: That was a textbook disclosure of an STI. Like, word for word. Uh, hey, I got tested. Here's what happened. You should go get tested. It's no one's fault. We're good. I'm good. Yeah. You're good. Just, I want you to know.
1: We talked about the guy that I was hooking up with who refused to get tested, said a lot of mean things about me having HIV, and then it turned out that... Two of his previous partners had her face and did disclose.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that one, right? <laughs> so uh, what what was the, because we talked about this a while back, right? Yeah. Okay, so what's the story? Refresh my memory. Tell the tell story like you're telling it for the first time.
1: Yeah, so I was hooking up with this guy who I feel like, in retrospect, should have been a one-night stand. But we met at a bar and we had gone to high school together but didn't really know each other. And, you know, we went home together, and I was, like, blackout drunk, but still told him, you know, like, I have this, and there's no risk. Are you sure you want to do this? And he agreed. So we slept together. We used a condom the first time, but then every time after that, he refused. So we slept together for three months, and he increasingly got more mean about me having HIV, And uh, one night we got into a fight and he said, you know, we will never actually be together because you're HIV positive and I want to get married and I want to have kids and I can't do that with you. And he was like, I feel like you gave me AIDS because I'm tired after working full time. And I was like, well, do you have symptoms? And he said, oh, I have little things. And I was like, well, tell me what they are. And he was like, I don't want to talk about it. That was the end of the discussion for him. So for, like, days, I tried being like, we really should talk. Like, this is a serious matter. If you want to get tested, you can get tested. Like, you know, I don't really know what's happening. We ended up talking, the one day I went to his apartment, and um, I walked in, and he had a scale out in the middle of the floor, which I had never seen a scale in his apartment before. So I was like, why are you weighing yourself? And he's like, oh, the guys are making fun of me because they're saying I look like I've lost weight. And I was like, oh, my God. So I was like, do you want to get tested? And he was like, I mean, it's probably something I should do eventually, but I haven't been tested in years because I haven't had sex with enough people. What the like,
0: fuck is that supposed to mean?
1: Just hooked up with me for three months, knowing I'm HIV positive, And granted, there's no risk, but, like, you should be getting tested just to, for the peace of mind. So he was like, no, like I'll do it eventually, but it's not on my priority
0: list. You know what's scary is, uh, how common it is that we don't ask our partners about when they were tested or even if that's a priority to us. Um, someone I had recently disclosed to before we had sex, um, I I disclosed and she also had herpes, has herpes. And then um, we were having a conversation about, you know, your last test. So I got tested uh, shortly after New Year's. Right. So I asked her about hers and she was like, well, oh, I actually need to make an appointment. So we made decision. I mean, we still had sex, but we made the decision. I knew, okay, well, there's a risk here. So I'm going to wear a condom. Right. It's really interesting how it's easy For us to be able to just let that huge question slide, because the answer to that question, when's the last time you were tested, tells us a lot about a person. And if this person was like, I haven't gotten tested in years because I haven't hooked up with enough people. And I was this kind of person who, if my partners got tested, I didn't have to get tested because they would tell me like, oh, I'm good. I'm clean. I'm clear. All good. Don't worry about it. And I'll be like, oh, good. I live to fight another partner (laughs) I guess but that's in my case I grew up with such internalized
1: stigma basically being told directly and indirectly that like I'm a risk to people that I always assume that I'm the bigger risk to people and so I never I never in both of these situations never even considered asking them have you gotten tested when was the last time you know any of that stuff um and so with him you know we didn't talk at all after that happened and I was friends with somebody that he had hooked up with previously I'm trying to be as vague as possible just in case anybody is listening but he had hooked up with her previously and um we were friends and so we were out one time and we had been drinking and She had listened to me cry about him for literally months on end because it was the first time anybody had treated me so horribly for having HIV. And so I cried to her for months and finally one day she was like, I have to tell you something, I have herpes. And I was like, did you disclose to him? And she was like, no, I don't disclose to my partners because, um, yeah, she was like, I don't disclose to my partners, because I control my stress levels, you know, I'm careful with what I eat, and I don't know if I've ever transmitted it, but I don't think so, and I haven't had an outbreak in over a year, so I don't disclose, and I don't know anything about herpes, so I just took her at her word, and was like, okay, maybe she actually isn't a risk, who am I to judge her, but, Later that week, I posted something on my Instagram page about criminalization and how people are going to jail for not disclosing HIV, even if there's no risk and there's no transmission that occurs, but people aren't going to jail for not disclosing herpes. And so this girl that, again, I went to high school with responds to my story, and I knew that she had been with the same guy previously. And she said, you know, I just want to tell you, like, I have herpes. And so she said the exact same thing. I control what I eat. I control my stress levels. I haven't had an outbreak in a really long time. And both of them didn't take, like, viral, like, the suppression medication. Neither of them took it. But she was like, I don't disclose to my partners. So here's an example where this guy sleeps with me. Traced me horribly, even though I'm upfront about it and there's no risk anyway. But then he has two previous partners who both had herpes and didn't tell him and is just not getting tested.
0: Wow. And then not that condoms prevent you from contracting herpes, but we can make the assumption that if he was open to having unprotected sex with you, that he was also having unprotected sex with these two partners. So I think that the big takeaway here is that it is really important for us to At the very least, like even if you asked him to have gotten tested, there wouldn't have been a way that he knew that he had herpes anyway because it's not included on a mandatory panel or on the um, regular screening panel. He'd have to ask for herpes specifically. But it, one, highlights how almost unavoidable a herpes is and then how common it is, how unavoidable, how common it is. And then just, it is so important for us to at least ask that question of when's the last time you were tested? You know, someone could have told me, oh, I get tested every three, six months and have had a new partner every day. But like, I feel better knowing that they're on top of their sexual health more so than how many partners they've had. Right. That to me says that this is a person who's careful about it. This is a person who is responsible, who is consistent in their being accountable for their sexual health. And it's also someone that you can trust someone who says, Oh, I didn't have sex with enough people to get tested. (laughs) Like that would have me on edge.
1: In the beginning of that whole situation, I did have a gut feeling because the fact that he was so quick to just not want to use condoms with me was a red flag. And so in the beginning of that, I did get tested and, um, I can't remember if I was tested for herpes, because I didn't request it, so probably not. But everything did come back fine. But I felt bad in that scenario towards the end, too, after I found out that my friend had herpes. Because before she told me, when he and I were still going back and forth and fighting, he freaked out to me the one day, because he had a really bad cold sore on his lip. And he was like, everybody at work is making fun of me, blah, 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 blah. And... I made a really insensitive joke to my friend. I was like, look, he treated me like garbage because I have HIV, so now he has herpes, you know, like, but I didn't know. So she just like kind of ignored my joke, but like I had no idea. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, who knows if he actually ever got tested or anything, and we talked about it in both of those cases, because I'm the HIV positive one, I'm seen as the one who's putting them at risk When really there is no risk and because they don't get tested and they don't use condoms, I'm the one at risk.
0: That's crazy how that works. And this kind of goes back to our earlier conversation about, all right, I have HIV, at least it's not herpes. I have herpes, at least it's not HIV, right? The prevalence of stigma, even from someone who is facing stigma. Um, We're human. For you in that situation where you mentioned, oh, well he's being a shit bum to me about having HIV and here he is running around with this fat ass cold sore, serves you right. You telling that to your friend who has herpes, there's a number of things here. But the one that I wanna really hone in on is that this was probably a good opportunity for her to be like, hey, Brenda, that's not cool. Or this was an opportunity for her to be like, hey, I got her. She
1: said nothing. I don't mean to cut you off, but no, no. it just clicked in my head. She, I recognized, has a lot of her own internalized stigma living with herpes. Because after she disclosed to me at the time, she was trying to hook me up with one of her friends. And she was like, you know, I think that you would be really good with him, but I just want to let you know he's not clean. And I was like, what do you mean he's not clean? And she was like, I'm pretty sure he has herpes. And I was like well, you've hooked up with him before. Did he tell you that? And she was like, no, but I've heard from other girls that he does. Oh,
0: so it, just, what? Like,
1: it all came together for me in that moment where I was like, she has not dealt with this on her own. Because like you said, and I felt so bad for the joke that I made after she told me. But again, I at the time, I knew absolutely nothing about herpes. I had never met anybody who disclosed that to me before. But that was an opportunity where she could have been like, that's not cool. And then she continued to stigmatize somebody else just because she heard a rumor that he had herpes too.
0: I wonder if she just made that up. Oh, I heard from someone and she's like, looking side to side. <laughs> uh, I, I heard... wonder
1: that too, because it was a situation where they were hooking up like quite often and she thought it was more than it was. And so even though she was trying to hook me up with him, I felt like there was a little bit like a level of jealousy because she did say, like, I thought it was more than it was with him, but, you know, maybe, like, it'll be more for you. So, Whoa. I
0: don't know.
1: I think there's a lot of different layers
0: there. I was going to say, that's a great friend trying to hook you up with somebody that she had already hooked up with. It's like, oh, it'll be good for you. You can have this. <laughs> yes. uh, so, this really does highlight how stigma looks, you know, even to someone who has so much knowledge and understanding of the stigma that people with HIV face, you're still vulnerable to the emotions that come with an additional STI diagnosis. You're still vulnerable to projecting stigma, absorbing stigma, and then it's the same thing with someone who's living with herpes. Your people around you are very well-versed in HIV. Um, You can say things like, oh, there's no risk. I'm undetectable. So therefore I'm untransmittable. You equals you. And it seems just so like cool and casual that your friends are so open uh, sexually with you and your, your circle, your inner circle and people around you. I feel like this is what we need from people who are living with herpes. This is what we need from people who are living with a number of things is just to be able to sort of set a foundation for those around us to be able to understand like just base level stuff. So if you are a friend of yours. And they meet someone with HIV. It's like, oh, my friend Brenda has HIV. Well, are you undetectable? You taking your medication? Like, this is the kind of question that you need to ask at the base level. For someone who's living with herpes, I think that a default question is, oh, well, uh, how often do you get outbreaks? Are you on medication? These are the kinds of conversations that can be had rather than, hey, I have HIV. Hey, I have herpes. And then crickets, (laughs) you know, or for people to be like, oh, that sucks. I'm sorry to hear that. Good luck. And then peace the fuck out. So I think that we're headed in that direction. And like you being open about your status, at least with your inner circle, like you don't have to be public but for you to have the kinds of relationships with the people around you and being able to be as open as you are like that is super commendable and I only hope that we can continue to progress in this direction um as people are facing and navigating stigma to let people know hey I'm one of those vulnerable people to stigma so can we chill out? Right
1: and I did have my own personal feelings about Both of those situations where they disclosed to me, but because they had disclosed to me and they shared that information with me and I recognized that I knew absolutely nothing about it and also I was worried for myself. But it did make me reach out to you and Lorraine and be like, you know, I'm in this situation, what do I have to know about herpes? And so I did learn, I still have so much more to learn, but it's the same kind of thing. I went public with my status so that people could be like, okay, what do I need to know about HIV? You know, not just with me, but if they do ever meet somebody else who has it and they're in that situation, you know, how do they handle it?
0: Mm-hmm. That's a win. This is great. I don't know if there is anything else that you want to leave us with, but we got a lot of good stuff here. How can people find you? Well, first off, is there anything else that you want to say?
1: I think we covered it all.
0: We did? And <laughs> then so high five virtually. <laughs> all right um so brenda we'll link to how people can find you um where do you most connect with people instagram
1: yeah
0: definitely instagram okay thank you so much for your time i appreciate you sharing your story you're awesome and i appreciate your ongoing advocacy in this space
1: thank you i appreciate you having me
0: all right that concludes this episode of something positive for positive people please like rate review share subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen on if you visit www.spfpp.org and you scroll down a little bit you'll see options to donate what we're doing at this point is raising money to get people therapy who are navigating stigma there's going to be a bunch of stuff coming up hopefully post-covid 19 era where we can get together um there are some speaking opportunities that i have on the in the works uh so the money will go to those as well and yeah just taking care of the basic needs of this being a nonprofit organization and any of the podcasting stuff that we need and have going on till next time stay sex positive